This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. This week, Senior Features Editor Danielle Terciano talks with Bruce Miller, showrunner of The Handmaid's Tale. Stay tuned. Hi, we're going to welcome Bruce Miller, creator and showrunner of The Handmaid's Tale, to the TV Talk podcast. Um, we're right up against The Handmaid's Tale season three finale, so I think this is the perfect time to have you here. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. So before we actually start talking about this this season, what I find really fascinating is it's airing at its or streaming at a time um, when your second season is still kind of being lauded. It got 11 Emmy nominations for writing, for directing, for guest acting, etc. How did this feel knowing that you got so many Emmy nominations for the second season last year, but these episodes were obviously eligible in a different window and the Academy said, you know what? yes, we want to be able to celebrate them. I mean, is this something that came as a surprise to you? Like, how did this affect the process? Um, I had known about the rule change or or what the rule was. I don't know whether it's changed or not, that the episodes that were part of the season that were submitted last year would be submitted this year. And it's just nice because, you know, oftentimes you have your favorite episode in a chunk that isn't part of one season or another, but also Bradley Whitford wasn't in the episodes we submitted. Um, and, you know, so it was this great, I didn't expect us to get any nominations because there's, I mean, I never expect it's such a strong field of TV period. That's it. Um, but, um, it was nice to kind of have those things up for discussion at least. It was really nice. And, and I, I was really grateful to the Academy that those, still kind of get thrown into the mix. I had no idea anybody would pull them out of the mix. Mm. Um, and But I was really happy. I mean, the, some of our best episodes last season were in those last few. Um, and uh, I, I mean, it's always just, it's so stunning that, you know, because you, I look at all the other shows that they nominate and go, ooh, those are all the real television shows. So it's always <laughs> nice to be considered part of it in any way at all. And it's interesting timing because obviously, you know, talking about it for that, talking about the new season kind of just pushes the show in general more into the public's minds. Do you feel like you, you notice that? Does, do you feel like one affects the other? I definitely feel like, um, and this is all personal. You, you feel like there's a time when the show is very much in the public eye and the time when it isn't is the time where you feel like a mental patient walking around in a world where no one knows what you're doing all day long because it, there's a different time of year. Like now I'm relatively on vacation and there's mm. all this stuff going on. Um, when we start and when we're dead in the middle of it is when everybody else has forgotten about it. So, you know, the rhythm of it, which I guess is natural, we're making it while people are not talking about mm -hmm. it. And then people are watching it when we're done making it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it is it is strange. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just happy that, that the show still... You know, after three years, it's, you know, uh, it, th that the show st still has the power to kind of uh, get that kind of attention and get people excited about it and worried about it. Like, mm -hmm. is it such a weird show, you know, to raise their level of excitement and anxiety? <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, one of the, the episodes that's seeing a lot of the Emmy attention is Holly, the second season episode where June gives birth. And we've come so far since then. And in the third season, I mean, it really feels like it's not just about her as a mother to her two daughters, but it's she's now becoming this 
matriarchal figure for the children of Gilead in general with trying to get them out. So we come out of the penultimate episode where, you know, there's dozens, literally dozens of children to move and you have one episode left. (laughs) So structurally, walk me through how you decided to get her to that point at the end of the season and, and, you know, how much success can there be in, at, in the final moments or is this an ongoing story? Uh, well, um, it's, it's always an ongoing story. And I think for, for um, June, it was a combination of uh, imagination, like what could she get done and then execution. Mm-hmm. Um, so so much of the season was about her learning how to uh, be a rebel, what it meant on the ground, kind of moment by moment, how you do those things and who you have to compromise with. And and um, there's a scene, I, th- I think in the penultimate episode, where she meets with the other Marthas, isn't mm-hmm. that, which is one of my favorite scenes that she doesn't even think I have to check with anybody. <laughs> but uh, the whole, uh, w- what we're trying to do is, Fill up her toolbox mm. so that in the in the last few episodes you see her start to use those tools, and and you really do in the last few episodes of this season. And the final episode is just a continuation of that arc. I, I never think of it as as um, a, a finale in these days for two reasons. One is in these days, oftentimes with streaming, it's you know you're binging the episode and it's just another mm. one and then you watch another one. Right. So the really, you know, kind of the end or the reimagination of the of the conceit of the show at the end of a season doesn't happen. The seasons are a lot shorter than they used to be as well. Um but I I I like the the end to be this kind of feeling of uh when June gets an opportunity she, she's gotten opportunities before in the season, but mm-hmm. she's finally able to kind of bring all of those skills that she's learned to bear and you, you we get to see whether it's enough. You know, whether she actually has enough skills or not. And sometimes, you know, that has enough skills to do. Right now, she's kind of on a both a noble and revengeful path mm-hmm. because she wants to do something that's a good, but she also wants to, you know, basically make all of these mothers hurt the way she hurts all these women in Gilead. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, you don't necessarily have to get all the kids out to make that happen. Mm, okay. You have to get them away from their parents. Interesting. You know, you've you mentioned her skills um, in the past. We've also talked about like the power that she has and um, how she's kind of learned to play the game in Gilead. When you look back over what she's tried to accomplish, what she's successfully accomplished, what she's still working on this season, is there was there a piece that was harder for you to put together than the rest? Given that you know she yeah she has some skills and yeah she has some power, mm-hmm. but you know she's still in a caste system at the bottom or not the very bottom, but towards the bottom. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's almost outside the caste system Mm. because um, there's almost no one below her. Um, She can't boss anybody around at all. Um, So uh, I forgot. Oh, just in terms of what what of these attempted successes might've been the hardest to crack when you were writing. I, I think for me, the hardest one to crack is how do you keep your sanity while you're learning to do something where, you're putting yourself, your life at risk. And you're putting the, not only that, it's not like teaching yourself to rock climb without a rope. Mm. I mean, you're putting your life at risk, but that's it. Here, she's constantly putting other people's lives at risk. risk, And through the season, they get killed. 
They get, you know, they, they, she risks them. And so how do you deal? I think the biggest thing for me um, and the hardest thing to crack was how does June harden herself against that kind of pain so that she can go forward? And you, you have to be able to endure that kind of hit or you can't be victorious in some sort of battle where you're actually playing for keeps. Mm-hmm. And so, but she's not the kind of person who can absorb that hit without feeling something. And she tries a bunch of different ways to do it. She tries to be absolutely businesslike and icy, and that's just not her. And then um, she, you know, by her relationship with Matthew, eventually realizes, you know, instead of pushing these enemies away, I have to fight for everybody. I have to fight for her. I have to fight even people who seem to be getting my way. So I think the key for June is the ability to kind of keep her eye on the ball Hmm. and um, through the finale we definitely see how hard that is how hard it is through the finale because the finale is really um, she keeps getting knocked off track and it's she's desperately trying to keep things on track Um, and uh, you know just because you learn enough to know what the track is and what Hmm. the goal is doesn't mean you've learned enough to take you know to deal with contingencies it was just the, the season about becoming a rebel and how do you actually rebel was interesting to me because I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing you talk about, like, you know, the rebel alliance in Star Wars. What do mm-hmm. they do day to day? How do you rebel? <laughs> what do you do? And so for June, she immediately at the beginning of the season dives into it, but then, you know, loses somebody. Someone dies, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's a big fuck up. So, so I think that for June, what you want to see is that how she deals with the end of the season, her plan versus her beginning of the season when, a, when, like uh, uh, an opportunity to do something rebellious dropped into her lap. She's very different now. And it's interesting because her reaction to the death in the beginning of the season is very different, obviously, to in the end. I mean, in you know, seeing basically allowing Eleanor to die and not going for help and, you know, watching her face. And she didn't seem as questioning about her decision as maybe some people would think. So uh, what did it take to get her to that place? Well, I think to get her to that place is is um, a the knowledge that all deaths are not equal. Mm. That you know um, that you know some people you know Eleanor is is in a position where living in Gilead has been very difficult for her, and the only reason she's been able to survive really because she's she's uh, she's an unmedicated you know bipolar disorder. So un, uh, under unmedicated, under medicated, and wrongly medicated. Um, the, the idea is that she gets her meds through the black market because the ones that come through the regular market are either cut by someone or mm. something else is in them or they're not quite pure enough because all of those businesses require a lot of overseas right. stuff. So uh, for June, I think the, the big thing, the, the, the different deaths she's thinking about with, when it comes to Eleanor is that Eleanor has no place to be. If she leaves... She doesn't, Eleanor doesn't want to be, have this place on her conscience. Mm. And if she stays, she can't operate. So I think that what June is looking at is someone who who is making a logical choice of their own. Mm. Um, and even though it benefits June for the, that choice to go one way or the other, um, it, it's not the same as someone getting shot dead for, sure. for trying to help someone escape. They're different. And I think that that's what she's learning all in the way is that, you know, to let other people make their own choices about those big things um, 
uh, and she can be as careful or underhanded or practical as you want her to be. Um, but she is recognizing that that I think if 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 she had come upon Eleanor and Eleanor had fallen down the stairs and broken her leg and was and was you know on the verge of losing consciousness, she wouldn't have left her. Mm-hmm. This was different. This was a choice, and I think it's about you know it goes back to kind of her notions of autonomy and and especially autonomy over your own body. Mm-hmm. And yet, when they're standing outside of the grave, Lawrence. Maybe this was the way Bradley played it and not necessarily the way that you wrote it on the page, but Lawrence looks at June in a way that almost maybe implies he thinks she might have done something or or not done something as the case actually was. How does this affect their relationship going forward? Well, um, it, it definitely affects the relationship going forward. It doesn't have much time to affect the right. relationship. Because you have one episode yeah, right because now. Because we have one episode. <laughs> um, but it is one of those moments where I, I think that for Bradley... Um, there's so much tied into that moment because Bradley's a very smart man, but his his he has he has great understanding of human nature, but not such great intuition about human nature. Mm. So he's looking at her and in some ways trying to puzzle out: could she be this? Could she be that? Um, that's I think what comes to bear in the next episode is who does she think she is? Okay. And in the in the end, it actually it plays differently than than you think, and it's also not uh, you know. Uh, Hopefully that's a story moving forward, not mm-hmm. you know that that moment moving forward because the last the last episode um, takes place in the end in a pretty short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have you know you just can't you, I don't want to move character relationships along faster than they move sure. just because I don't have time. You know, <laughs> and it's I mean there's a, it seems like a lot to get through plot wise in that finale. Not and I'm not just talking about with these kids and trying to get these kids out of Gilead, but there's you know whole other things happening in Canada and some of which we haven't seen in a while and some which you just started in the last episode with Serena realizing it's not going to be easy to get Nicole and and Fred realizing what Serena did to him and and all of these things that was very cool um so how how do you balance that coming at coming to the very end and saying we have all of these characters we love their stories have diverged in great ways but we still need to see them all maybe not put a button on anything, but, you know, give them another moment before the season's over. Uh, I try, well, the way I deal with it is a couple of ways. First is I never try to give them a moment. I just try to tell the story of the, especially in the finale or in the premiere, which are inevitably, or not inevitably, have the danger of being terrible episodes, always. (laughs) Um, Because they're supposed to kind of tie up all this stuff. And so what I try, have very hard to do, especially in the finale, is just just do that the story that you're going to do for that episode. Um, We are in in a great position of knowing we have another season coming up. So, um, you know, all of those things will continue. And and I I, I just don't want all the stories to kind of happen at the same rhythm. uh, you know, because because you know, okay, this is a season. I don't want to kind of go through um, the story of Emily and Sylvia at a certain rhythm because the season pushes right. them at that rhythm. Because that's kind of the point is that it doesn't have a rhythm to it. So uh, anyway, um, and and also there's a real estate problem when you have a lot to do in a final episode. We had scenes this year for the first time that we filmed and cut out. I mean, normally oh, wow. we don't film very much stuff that we and. Um, it's just heartbreaking, but you just don't have enough hours in the episode to, to do it. 
Do you, though, sometimes play with maybe we'll just do a longer episode? I mean, because you're streaming, there's we, not we, as hard and fast a rule. Yes, and we and when I say it's it, we just don't have enough real estate, it's you don't have real estate entertainment-wise. Okay. Because I think that Hulu and MGM are very generous with those parameters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they've never told us something's too short, and they've never told us something's too long. And, uh, you know, um, I grew up watching a TV show that was... You know, an hour-long drama was 43 minutes mm-hmm. and 32 seconds or whatever it was. And you knew the story because you knew the yeah. running time. And so, you know, you just internalize when things are going to happen. Uh, that's one of the great advantages of streaming, and we definitely use it. But it, when the episode gets too long for, for me to feel like it really snaps along, that's when the problem is. Um, but, I, you know, I would watch... I love all these guys so much and, and I love watching them work as actors and I love the characters that I would, you know, I, I would watch the Canada show for, for mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours. Exactly. I'm just fascinated yeah. by all of it. So, you know, you, 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 there is a difference between fascinating and interesting and entertaining. Okay. And I try to stay on the entertaining side. Okay. Well, going forward, I mean, mentioning the fourth season, you didn't know that when you were writing the se- end of season three, right? No, okay. but, um, you know, uh, I think um, Hulu and MGM are not that it, it does. It's not a decision every year, of course, but you know, uh, I think they are on the same page with me in terms of what the hope is for the show. That when when the show is done, you know, you you get something a very nice companion piece to put on the shelf next to your copy of The Handmaid's Tale. Sure. But it's a nice complete piece mm-hmm. um and uh and then there's other margaret's putting out another yes. book of a, so so uh i'm hoping to be kind of part of that like a commentary like a, a version of mm. the handmaid's tale that's fun that's fun to watch but really we're we're in margaret's world um but i think they are committed to the idea mm-hmm. of of telling this story well mm-hmm. bringing it to a, a thoughtful conclusion that's you know on the terms of the show just i mean to honor uh, the source material mm-hmm. i mean it's so especially the original book is so mindfully ended you know at, at this terrible cliffhanger yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that uh you know um i've had the opportunity to imagine a version of it moving forward uh but um you you know you definitely wanted to have both the beginning and the end yeah well, so then looking ahead to what next season is, knowing that you have now, it feels like half your cast in Canada and, and half in Gilead, how do you, have you had conversations about, okay, well, if those of you in Canada, maybe we just use you less next year? How how does that affect the process? Um, you know, it's funny because I never, I, I don't have those conversations with actors just because Sometimes we, you know, you know, you can say, okay, I'll use your list in Canada, and then we have eight flashback stories oh, sure. that are all Luke. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we, as I said, we love those characters and those stories, and we find them fascinating. And we could do whole shows, whole seasons about about you know Sylvia and Emily, or you know Moira trying to balance work mm-hmm. and no social life and all that. And kind now of stuff. this yeah. baby, yeah, now this baby, yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she's got all the family things except you know. Someone to hang out with. Well, that's season uh, four, yes. That's season four. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I don't do that, and we don't plan ahead mm-hmm. um, uh, in terms of how much we're going to use people. Um, 
and we have the a very devoted and flexible group of actors who all could be doing lots and lots and lots of other things, working all the time, and they do do they lots are, of other yeah. things. Um, but uh, you know when. You know, there, there was a scene at the beginning of an episode that we didn't end up using, but it was just, it was one shot, and it was from the Handmaid's uh, Training Center, the Red Center. Mm -hmm. And I remember Samira flew up to sit there oh, next wow. to June, praying, you know, in that one shot, and that was the shot she was in, and she flew up to be, you know, basically uh, in the background of, of that mm -hmm. scene. Um, so they're very devoted to making sure the, the, the show and the world is consistent. And because of that, I think that um, uh, they m they make the most of the scenes that they're given in such a unbelievably beautiful way that it makes the show. So it doesn't matter if I have Moira for five mm -hmm. minutes in an episode or for twenty five minutes. Boy, does she! They, they those guys make the show. They're you know the, the people who are the other end of June's telephone. You know? mm -hmm. On a purely personal, maybe selfish level, are there pieces of stories or certain characters that you haven't had the chance to go as deep with as you like, and that and, and that affects how you write season four? Oh yeah, I mean, I I hundred um, percent follow my own curiosity. You know, it's hard to it's hard to put yourself in someone else's curious shoes. So I just try to think of what what are the stories that I'm interested in seeing. What are the um, so uh, we, I, the the only restriction I ever feel is I'm really telling June's story, mm -hmm. and it's June's point of view, and uh, you know we try not to show anything that eventually June wouldn't have right. seen um, or, or heard about in in detail enough that she felt okay recounting it. That you feel restrictive when you want to follow a Martha and see what their life is mm -hmm. like in more detail. Um, and more intimate and that kind of thing, or you want to file a you know a, a, a wife who has a child, you know Hannah's mom, for mm -hmm. example. So that restriction you do feel it is the thing that makes the show. You know it's why it, it's both the the show only works because Lizzie's so good, and Lizzie's so good because the show is is all June's point of view. Um, so it pays many more dividends than, than it offers frustrations. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that you just said the things that she wouldn't have heard about or, or found out about because I don't, I, maybe my imagination is not big enough, but it feels like if she died in Gilead the way that she assumes that she's going to, she wouldn't find out all these things about Canada. So I'm going to choose to believe that it gives this story something of a hopeful ending well, whenever you get there. Well, it is. I mean, it, you know, it follows the same logic as the novel, which is... The novel is a recorded set of mm -hmm. tapes, a memoir, mm -hmm. and so is the show. Right. Um, and we use voiceover. The entire book is voiceover. Yeah. Um, uh, but so no matter what chunk we see, um, and, and, you know, and I think it's safe to say, you know, June's not, it's The Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. She's not dying until, you know. Well, not yet. Know, yeah, not, <laughs> yeah, not till the show, you know, it would be the end of the show because right. it's the end of, of The course. Handmaid's Tale. Uh, it's not called the Gilead Tale or the, you know, uh, the Waterford's Tale. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, sh she's she's protected by dint of the fact that she was able to record this. Right. So that she isn't protected by the story. The fact that the story exists yeah. is only because she ha survived long enough to record it. And mm -hmm. she says that a bunch of times in the mm -hmm. book about how weird it is and how just... It's it's an act of hope just putting this down um, 
on tape and, mm-hmm. you know, hoping there's someone out there and that there's a time after this one. Right. Um, because in the book, you find out that, you know, Gilead went on for another 200 years. No one who we saw lived through Gilead, lived longer than Gilead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Bruno Heller, showrunner of Epix's Pennyworth. Pennyworth.